The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Did everyone who wanted to uh, get uh, one of those handouts with the renunciation exercise? Anybody didn't get it? Do we want it? Want once one? Okay, I'll print up another one. Anybody else? So count three. Okay. I said 2.45 and it's 2.44, so I I don't want to start in case someone is (laughs) keeping us, you know, to what I said. I hope that that exercise, that discussion uh, was useful for you, interesting, and got you engaged and deeper into this topic of letting go, renunciation, from different perspectives. I think it's particularly useful to associate renunciation <clears throat> with something like joy, with well-being, with, <clears throat> with that it's, it's, a, it's a positive thing to renounce or positive thing to let go as opposed to a diminishment and a, you know, we're, le- <clears throat> we're more because we let go, no, we're not less. The gain is greater than the loss. <clears throat> and so to understand what, we're gain- what we can gain through letting go is a very important thing. And some of the most beautiful, most profound aspects of the heart, of the inner life, uh, come from very profound letting go that uh, is uh, sometimes in the Buddhist tradition is called wealth. Our real wealth is a wealth that's the inner wealth that's revealed if we let go of all the kind of surface things that uh, interfere with that depth of richness inside of us from coming out. So there are three kinds of, um, <clears throat> sometimes it's said there's three layers or stages to letting go, three different aspects to renunciation. And one is um, renunciation in lifestyle. So classically in Buddhism, that means that one chooses a renunciant lifestyle and becomes a monastic. And um, uh, I understand this to mean that one chooses a lifestyle uh, of simplicity. <clears throat> and where you renounce things which maybe are fine in and of themselves to do, but um, it's not conducive to the simplicity of kind of, of that supports deep meditation, deep inner reflection, the contemplative life. Um, you know, if you decided to be a politician, maybe running for president, um, you know, it's probably not a lifestyle that would give you much time or mind space to get really quiet and peaceful and you know it's a little bit too complicated and what comes your way and what you have to respond to and deal with and it's probably not the best lifestyle to choose for a contemplative life so you know to have a, so this so the first layer is choosing a lifestyle that's supportive for what you want to do if you really want to live a contemplative life really want to get to some of the depth of possibility through practice 
um, it's nice to cr uh, create a lifestyle that uh, is conducive to that, supports that. So what would you have to do? And one of the primary obvious places where there's a big la uh, renunciation in our particular Buddhist tradition that we never advertise as renunciation and uh, don't tell the secret to other people. We don't want to discourage them, you know, come and renounce. And that is when we go on retreats. Um, the retreats are a time where we renounce a lot of things temporarily. We renounce computers and internet and phones. We renounce ordinary social conversation. We renounce sexual life. We renounce, you know, basically money in the course of uh, entertainment. Some people renounce adorning themselves when, when they go on retreat, wear simple clothes and no makeup and jewelry. Some people, um, you know, all kinds of things that are, we kind of get shed. And some people come on retreat and they, they don't even know that they're renouncing. They just kind of come and this, they do, they just live their life there and it just happens to be all these things which are not possible there. And maybe after the, afterwards they realize, wow, that was a nice lifestyle. It was so simple and easy. And, and so the f first layer level of renunciation is that of lifestyle. And that's a choice, and it's not a moral thing, an ethical thing. It's just choosing something that supports what your purpose is, what you're trying to do. And I think of it uh, as uh, choosing a lifestyle that has some simplicity, some simplicity in it. The second um, area of renunciation, or uh, letting go, has to do, or sometimes referred to as um, uh, um, uh, restraining our actions. So renouncing uh, stealing and killing and lying and sexual misconduct and uh, intoxicating oneself. So it's kind of like uh, actions that we do in the world that people, other people can see. Or um, being careful uh, not to get pulled into the world around us, you know, if, if there's, you know, some kind of allure of a new technology product, you know, you don't just, you know, as soon as it gets released, you don't just rush on out and you know, bulldoze all the cars that are in the way so you can get to the electronic shop before everyone else to make sure you get that, you know. Um, so the kind of, you know, you kind of restrain yourself uh, from acting impulsively with attachments and desires. And, and that also happens on retreats because there's all kinds of situations there where you're, you're asked to limit or simplify your lifestyle. And so some of the obvious things that people often do in life are held in check. And some of those can be ethical, some of those are not ethical, but it's kind of like, again, this movement towards restraint in our actions and what we do. The third level of, uh, of renunciation has to do with the mind. And that is, uh, in one form or other, letting go of, renouncing, releasing, freeing the mind from its tendency to cling, tendency to obsess, to fixate. Uh, to um, be addicted to its thoughts, its ideas, its desires. So, you know, for example, people at some point feel like I'm ready to renounce my selfishness. I had no idea how selfish I was, but now I know, and I'm ready to renounce it. You know, so that, that's a big step to want to renounce it. To actually let go of it takes another step. You know, it takes work to do it, but first is to see it and see it and say, you know, I don't really believe in this anymore. I'm not, I don't want to just kind of just continue operating on this selfish mode now that I know what's going on. And so maybe, uh, you know, there's a 
letting go of acting on it or following f- no follow through when those kinds of impulses come up. Or there's all kinds of things people cling to. Uh, some people cling very much to pleasure, to comfort. And, um, and it can be amazingly powerful for people who it looks like they're completely um, living in sane, healthy, ordinary life, but a strong pull towards comfort or pleasure. And recently I talked to someone um, who had a very dedicated meditation practice and sometimes got very calm and peaceful, concentrated in meditation. But it turned out, she discovered, that um, that that was very much driven and the whole orientation around meditation was to have pleasure. And she was kind of, you know, she was that's what she, she was kind of fixated on that. And uh, it was limiting her in her life, limiting her in meditation. It wasn't really helping her become free. So she had to learn to renounce her addiction to pleasure, her strong desire for pleasure, um, so that she can really let the meditation ripen and deepen more fully. And there's addiction to, um, or the fixation to our views, our stories we live by, the beliefs we have. And uh, that can be very intense. And and when it gets intense in the public life, as we see in politics right now, (laughs) you know, it can have a lot of unfortunate consequences. So to learn to, um, to free ourselves from the stories, opinions that we're fixated on, uh, it not only helps us, but helps other people as well. And in Buddhism, they uh, also have um, emphasized um, not to get fixated, not to cling to um, Buddhism itself. Not to cling to the practices of Buddhism, the ethics of Buddhism, even the teachings of Buddhism. That, um, you know, the whole, in some ways, the whole thrust of classic Buddhist teaching is not to cling and, you know, it's a little bit goes against the grain if you cling to a teaching on not clinging. So, um, but it's because religion is such an important, for some people, a very powerful thing in their psyche, very strong identification with it. Uh, people tend to give a lot of authority to religion and association with religion and and uh, sense of identity is often tied to their religious affiliation. That sometimes there can be a very strong conscious or unconscious attachment to their religion, to Buddhism, to Buddhist practices, to their meditation practice. And so this is, this is uh, specifically mentioned in the early Buddhist texts as one of the forms of clinging that we want to let go of. So these three layers or levels of, of renunciation, one is like the most outward, that's the idea, kind of the lifestyle, then the particular actions and how we live in the world, kind of uh, we restrain certain activities, stop doing them, and the second one it can be seen as a training. And sometimes um, it's helpful to intentionally renounce, maybe temporarily, certain things that we've been doing so that we can learn about ourselves, so we can start learning about an alternative. So I know some people um, who have chosen to spend a year uh, being celibate because their sexual life is so, romantic life is so complicated and there's so much, you know, you know, attachments or fears or projections or assumptions or, you know, demands or needs that come into play. And so to spend a year without any sexual activity um, maybe has its challenges, but it it flushes out some of the concerns, what's going on. We get to look at them more carefully, more deeply than we can if we remain sexually active. So it's a temporary renunciation that some people do. So it's part of the training and... um, 
So there's many ways that one person can, a person can do that. Um, some people um, in Theravada Buddhism uh, find that they have a complicated relationship with food, and so they follow the, what's called the eight precepts, which means that mostly means that they don't eat after the noon meal. And that stirs up a lot of things. You know what? No dinner? And, uh, and so they have, and, but for the purpose so they can look at their relationship to food and what they do and maybe to simplify their life and see what's going on. So, so choosing to restrain or limit what we do so we can learn from ourselves. And then the last one, letting go in the mind of our clinging, that's the, that's the movement of liberation itself. Then if we take renunciation, the third parami, and connect it to the second, uh, the, uh, the, the first parami, which is um, uh, generosity, and, uh, and then also connect it to ethics, which is the second generosity, where sometimes we do unethical things, or sometimes we make mistakes, sometimes we, and then bring into that mix that the idea that compassion and liberation are intimately connected to these paramis. Put them all together in the washing machine, in the blender, and uh, one, of the th- one of the things you can get um, is forgiveness. That, um, and forgive- forgiveness is a kind of genero- act of generosity. It's also in relationship sometimes to ethics. It's also um, an act of letting go because forgiveness means that we're letting go in Buddhist terms, Forgiveness means, mostly what it means is we're letting go of, uh, of what we're holding against someone, or mostly anger or resentment. So the movement to release our resentment towards anyone, our grudge towards someone, uh, can in Buddhist terms be considered a kind of forgiveness. Um, but it's done with a sense of generosity towards that person. If it's just releasing your, your, um, your grudge or your resentment, then it, it only goes so far. But if, you, if it's an act of generosity that kind of has some compassion or concern for the other person or for yourself, then it has a richer quality for us. And for some people, uh, forgiveness is a powerful act of renunciation or letting go. Sometimes it's very hard to do it. And the question is, you know, how do we forgive in a way that has integrity? And how do we do it in a way that is supportive and helpful for ourselves and for others? and uh, how to avoid, you know, forcing oneself, yourself to forgive because you think you're supposed to, and, and then, you know, you end up doing something maybe which, which is not wise. So this idea of holding all this with compassion, with generosity, uh, is a really crucial so that we don't get kind of twisted up with renunciation as this kind of, you know, that... Uh, thing that we're failing at or that we should be doing or something. So I hope in the course of the day that uh, you've had a chance to reflect about your relationship to letting go or forgiveness, uh, letting go or renunciation, and that you've also maybe uh, become a little bit more richer or more widely applicable, this topic of renunciation, letting go. And so you start beginning to see where in your life <clears throat> might you be able to let go? Where is it appropriate? Maybe uh, today you've kind of looked, looked upon your life in a new way and maybe understand more strongly uh, that yes, there are places I want to let go that I knew about, but now I understand better. Or maybe there's new things you've understood in the course of the day. 
And uh, I think I'd like to kind of end the last exercise here, is to have you um, have a little discussion about that, about uh, share with someone some area in your life that uh, some aspect that you feel ready to let go of or to renounce something and uh, or to release or to have released. I'm ready for the universe to help me release this. And, um, and so, and again, as I said earlier, you don't have to share anything that you're uncomfortable sharing with anyone else. So choose something that, you know, feels like you, feel, you, you feel comfortable saying. And then um, share what it is and then offer some, uh, uh, continue and talk a little bit about how you might go about doing this. What are your thoughts about how you're going to manage to do this letting go, this act of renunciation in this particular area of your life? What, what might be the steps? What might the different approaches? What are the different supportive conditions you might bring into play? Uh, what might you do so this could, could actually occur for you? And uh, the idea is to spend about five minutes each and it's, going to mo- it's meant to be a monologue. So if you're, not, if, uh, if you're the listener, you're just the empathic listener. Be engaged, listen, <clears throat> be the witness for the person. <clears throat> and as you, you have your five minutes to speak, uh, I think it's helpful, don't think that you're speaking to the other person. This is not an ordinary conversation. It's not for their sake that you're informing them. Um, they're just a witness as you say this to yourself. Remember, I said in the morning that renunciation in Latin means to announce again, to speak again, to s- something about restating, stating one's purpose, what one wants to do. So this, you're doing this for yourself with a witness. And, uh, and then you're exploring for yourself, because it's really for your benefit, how you might accomplish this act of letting go, renunciation. When, when we do this kind of monologue where we're really speaking to ourselves with a witness, some people find it helpful to sit in meditation posture. Some people find it helpful to even close their eyes as they speak so, that, so they're not pulled into the social kind of usual way of being. And cons- so you're welcome to kind of do it as you f- see fit. But I tell you that just as to re- reinforce the idea that this is a, a kind of a personal reflection you're doing more than teaching, so- telling someone something, something about yourself and making a good impression or something. Um, uh, you don't have to make a good impression because you all already have a good impression. <laughs> you're all, you know, so you're all good. Um, and um, and um, so what I'd like to ask is that you uh, pair up with someone and um, maybe someone you haven't met, been with today. And I don't know if, if we happen to be an odd number of people here. Um, I'll assign the person who's left out to a group of three because that'll work fine with three as well. But um, if you decide to do a group of three, then it kind of messes up, the, you know, because we don't look, you know, it's better. Just come towards me if you're the people without uh, a pair. Okay? So please. <coughs> 